Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing identifying attachments, learning how to analyze the mind and understand these attachments that are causing so many problems in our life. This is chapter 12 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. In this chapter, it's a very short chapter that helps you to realize that this technique or this skill or this ability to identify your attachments is so vitally important. In addition to meditation, identifying your attachments is the second most important skill. And that's why I devoted an entire chapter to it. And that's why today we're going to have a very interactive class session where I'm going to be sharing some information with you for a few minutes just to help you remember and know what are attachments and how you can actually look at these attachments. But then we're going to fairly quickly move into a very interactive class session where I would like for you to contribute your situations where you've had a discontent mind, where you've had anger or frustration or irritation or annoyance or boredom or loneliness, because what we really need to walk away with today is you understanding what attachments are and how to identify them. Because if you can walk away from today's class session with that, along with everything else that I've taught in this group learning program in this, you will really be able to make a lot of progress in your path to enlightenment. Let's first describe why attachments are so important and even what they are. The Buddha discovered the mind has essentially multiple challenges, multiple problems that he discovered as part of the mind. And he summarizes this in the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots, also known as the three fires, which are craving, anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion. He dives into it even more detailed when he talks about the 10 fetters. These are kind of what he called the taints or the unwholesome kind of pollutedness of the mind. But the primary problem that Gautama Buddha always comes back to in his teachings and he starts with in his teachings is craving or what we also call greed or desire or attachment or clinging or grasping or holding. There's a lot of different names that we use in English to describe this. And I would like to describe it for you in detail so that you'll understand what an attachment is. 
because in his Four Noble Truths, this is where he lays down the number one explanation of why the mind experiences anger, frustration, boredom, loneliness, sadness, guilt, fear, shame, jealousy, all of this discontentness can be brought down into this one singular primary problem. So let's talk about what an attachment is. An attachment is a mental longing with a strong eagerness. Okay, this is what an attachment is. The mind wants to hold on. It wants to grasp. It has these desires, these craving, this burning yearning, this longing, this strong eagerness. Oh man, I just want a new job so bad. I just want this new job. And if I just get this new job, I just know that everything in my life will just be perfect. I just need this new job, right? That's a craving or an attachment, a desire, a grasping, longing for this new job, right? And maybe it's the job that the mind wants. Maybe it's the income. Maybe it's the ego would be fulfilled by this new title. Or maybe they want this new job because they want to move to a new location and this location is more desirable. When we first start learning these teachings, any one particular incident of discontentedness usually has two, three, four, five attachments in there. It's very rare that it's just one. But as you practice these teachings more and more and you train the mind to eliminate this tendency to grasp and hold on and attach, you can get down to less and less attachments in any one particular incident. And this is where you'll notice the mind at one time might have had fierce rage and anger. That's because there's three, four, five, six attachments in there. But as you learn and practice, that goes down to frustration, irritation, annoyance, maybe a small dislike. And that's because you've eliminated in the mind more and more of these attachments where it's no longer three, four, five attachments. There might just be one that's causing kind of a little bit of an irritation as opposed to when you get violently angry and frustrated, there's probably three, four, five attachments in there. So this longing, this strong eagerness, it can be for a job, it can be for an income, it can be for a location to live, it can be for certain possessions, it can be because of the ego. Um, you can have this longing and this strong eagerness for something for your child that you want them to do or not do. So many different things that the mind holds on to. And the number one goal of this practice is to train the mind to eliminate these attachments, to eliminate these craving, the mind's tendency to hold on. We're not working to eliminate the possessions or eliminate the child or eliminate the relationship, right? A lot of times people misunderstand attachment. They think that that means you just get rid of all this stuff, but that's not what it is. What attachment is, is how the mind relates to this possession, to this relationship, to this job. Is it comfortable and content and peaceful if I get this job? And if I don't get this job, I'm okay. Either way, if I get it or I don't get it, I'll be fine either way. That's non-attachment. Or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a child, 
if my child gets into this college, that would be great. But if they don't get into it, there's another solution as well. And we'll figure it out. We'll have a different solution. But what happens is the mind tends to grab on and it wants and craves and desires certain things. And it thinks if it acquires that, then everything's going to be all right. Then the world is perfect if I just get that one thing. But what happens is the mind craves and craves and craves and it's motivated out of this craving to keep craving that certain thing. And then once it acquires it, it might be content or happy or whatever for a period of time, but then the mind craves something else and it's off to the next craving. And this is why the mind can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, which would be the enlightened mind. It can't be peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy because this craving is constantly motivating the mind to do certain things. I get a job making 30,000 US dollars and I feel good about that. And then three, four, five, six months down the road, now I want 50. And then I get that job. I work really hard to get it. I motivate myself. I do all this work. And then I get the 50,000. And now that feels good for a while. And now it wants 100. And now it wants 200. And the mind just keeps craving. And not just money, but it craves a certain type of girlfriend or boyfriend or it wants your child to do certain things and you kind of have expectations that you expect your child to do and, and if they don't fulfill these things then the mind is discontent but even once you motivate the child to do these things and the mind finds some level of contentedness then it starts adding more and more and more and more things to this list thinking that if it just satisfies that one more craving, that one more craving, that one more attachment, that's that longing and that strong eagerness. So the mind can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy if there's craving. So craving is the primary problem that the Buddha discovered, which causes discontentedness of mind. And what we need to do is train the mind to eliminate these cravings. But how could you eliminate them if you can't identify them? That's why this is the second most important skill and ability that you could ever develop on this path to enlightenment because you need to identify them. We know that to train the mind to eliminate craving, attachment, desire, this strong eagerness, this mental longing, to train the mind, we need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation, and we need to practice generosity. These are the antidotes or the solutions to train the mind to not hold on so tightly. So by training the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation as thoughts of the past or the future, or ideas and perceptions and thoughts come into the mind, training the mind to just let those go and focus on the breath trains the mind over multiple sessions to let go. And then through generosity, sharing our time, our effort, our resources, our energy, various things that we have, by sharing, we're training the mind to let go. Okay, so breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity is helping to move the mind in the direction of not holding on to things, practicing non-attachment. However, 
as you're practicing, as you're learning, as you're going through life, you're going to experience discontentedness. You're going to experience anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, fear, shame, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings. And when the unenlightened mind experiences these, typically the first thing we do is we look to blame somebody else. But if you understand the Four Noble Truths that we are causing our own discontent mind, then what you can do in these situations where the mind is discontent is look inward and figure out what is it that's in the mind that's causing it to be angry, frustrated, sad, bored, lonely, whatever it is. You look inward. You don't look outward. You don't look at other people to say they're causing this mind to be frustrated. Because if you understand the Four Noble Truths and you know them to be truth 100%, it's never somebody else or something else that's causing the mind to be discontent. The mind is causing itself to be discontent. So therefore, the skill that you need to develop is being able to identify attachments through analyzing the mind. I used to call this self-analysis, but there is no self. So I used the term analysis of the mind, right? We're essentially reflecting on the situation. You know, maybe you got angry, maybe you got frustrated, you got annoyed, whatever it was. Okay, that happened. And now, rather than sitting down and blaming other people for this particular situation, the most beneficial thing you can do is reflect on the situation, analyze the mind, and try to figure out what is it that caused the mind to be sad angry, frustrated, irritated, lonely, bored, whatever it is, annoyed, any discontent emotions, jealousy. What is it that's causing the mind to be discontent? This is so vitally important. And that's why rather than me continuing to talk about it, what I would like to do is help you to develop this skill today. Just like I help you to develop meditation practices and then you go off and practice meditation, I would like to use today's class session to help you develop this skill to be able to identify your own attachments. Because if you volunteer and share some situations that you've been in and start looking at your attachments and you can identify those and I can help you to do that, if we do that a few times with the various members in the class, then you will start developing this skill and you'll be able to do this more and more on your own. Because your teacher can't be with you all the time, you're going to need to develop this skill and this technique for yourself. So what I would like to do is open up the floor to everybody who's in our virtual classroom, anyone who's watching this live stream on Facebook or YouTube or anywhere else that we're live streaming around the world. And what I would like you to do is think about a recent time when you were either sad, angered, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, feeling guilty, feeling shameful, having fears, loneliness, boredom, shyness, jealousy, and share what that situation is. So in a very short period of time, just kind of share what the situation was and what it was all about and how you were feeling at the time 
and then if you're able to share what you think your attachments were what was the craving what was the mind longing for what was the strong eagerness in the mind that was causing it to be frustrated irritated sad or what have you and if you can't figure out what it is that's okay you can just share what the situation was and i'll help you to see what it was in your mind that caused this because it's so vitally important that you see this because if your practice is all about training somebody else because it's their fault that the mind is discontent then you're not going to be able to reach enlightenment but if you look inward and you reflect on what it is in your mind that caused this anger frustration sadness and so forth then you can remedy it you can fix it you can solve it so who would like to start by just sharing a situation that you've encountered recently for yourself not somebody else but for you where you were sad anger frustrated irritated annoyed guilt shame boredom loneliness fears shy jealousy explain what the situation was and if you can explain what some of the cravings are that you feel like you had in terms of the strong eagerness and the longing and this will help you to develop this skill but then all the various people that are participating in today's class will hear various examples and then it'll help you to develop this skill even further so who would like to start let's go to amina on facebook um amina has talked about her daughter so amina says that lately she feels attached to her daughter being pleased for amina's suggestions for her daughter like for example going on a walk or working on a project together and Amina has aptly said that uh, I see this and I want to work on eliminating this craving and uh, she followed up by saying it has made me feel rejected and sad and the longing was to uh, be pleasing to her perfect that's perfect right so here's an example of a mother who is making certain suggestions to the daughter about let's go for a walk or let's go here let's go there and the daughter is not interested in doing that and the mother is feeling rejected and feeling unsatisfied because the daughter doesn't want to go along with mom's suggestion so mom's mind is attached and craving wanting longing having this strong eagerness for the daughter to do something and to follow the advice of the parent in this situation and when the daughter says no that's disagreeable to mom's mind and now mom feels rejected or maybe sad we'll just call it discontent and what amina's properly seeing there is that's her attachment she's wanting to please the daughter she's got this strong eagerness to please the daughter Mamina's the one who wants to go on the walk and rather than just saying okay i'll go alone that's what I suggest you do, Amina. Just say, oh, you don't want to go? Okay, well, mommy's going to go alone. And then you just go alone. And then spend some alone time with yourself and go for your walk. Because whatever your daughter has in her mind that she would like to do at that particular time, even if she went with you and you kind of forced her to do it, she's not going to be peaceful that whole time. She's going to be walking and kind of uh, disgruntled that mom kind of forced her to go on this walk. So what's best in that situation is if Amina wants to go on this walk, then okay, you go on the walk and then you tell your daughter, okay, you enjoy whatever you're gonna enjoy and mom's gonna go on the walk. 
that's how you work on eliminating this, Amina, is you make an, a suggestion to your daughter, you invite her to come with you, but then ultimately if she doesn't want to go, then that's okay. So your mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy if she goes, but then if she doesn't go, still allow the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Because I have a feeling that if I was at your house and you said, David, would you like to go on a walk with me? And I said, no, I'm fine. I'm gonna just stay here and watch TV. You'd probably say, okay, no problem. I'll see you in 30 minutes or so when I get back. But because it's your daughter, and you have this deep attachment to her on a lot of different areas, that's why you're feeling rejected and you're feeling hurt and pain. You're causing it yourself. So the way to get over this is for several days now, suggest things for your daughter to do with you. And when she says no, you just go and do it anyway. And if she says yes, she would like to do it with you, then just say, okay, come with me. And what you have to do is train your mind that it's okay for your daughter to say no. And she will respect you more for that. She will appreciate you more for that. And she'll be able to find her way in life because her path and the decisions that she needs to make in life are gonna be different than the decisions that you make in life. So over multiple times for the next several weeks, keep doing this. Keep asking her for different things that come into your mind that you're interested for her to do, but invite her suggest for her ask her if she would like to go and then when she says no be peaceful calm serene and content with joy and just go do it anyway because that's something that you would like to do okay excellent example and perhaps some of what's going on here is maybe it's not just the strong longing and eagerness to actually go outside amina it's also that longing and strong eagerness for your daughter to actually do something with you it could also be a certain little bit of ego in there too that I'm the parent, you know, she should listen to me and she should follow what I say. So it might be a few things in there that are causing this, right? It, it's still attachment, it's still craving, it's still this longing with a strong eagerness, but by you going and doing it anyway, it's gonna train your mind that it's okay for your daughter to say, no mom, I'd rather stay here and play with my baby dolls or play Legos or whatever she's involved in. And that will slowly, gradually train your mind that it's okay for your daughter to say no. So excellent example. Thanks for sharing that. I see Bill's got his hand up, Max. Yes, let's go over to Bill. Floor is yours, Bill. Hey, hi everybody. So um, every Sunday morning I, I call my mom. She lives over in the States in Oregon and Portland. And, um, and we usually keep our conversation, she's 86, and uh, you know, I'm very, very pleased that uh, she still has her mental faculties, um, you know, her body's slowing down, but it's very easy to have a conversation with her, and uh, I enjoy, you know, sharing what's going on with me here, you know, and lately we're talking about the COVID-19 situation and what's happening, Anyway, um, after we, you know, we greeted each other uh, on the phone, she mentioned that something came for me. I have all of my mail go to her house. <clears throat> and um, anyway, so something came about the stimulus money 
um, every U.S. citizen that filed a federal tax form got $1,200, either direct deposit or by a, a paper check. And uh, she was concerned because she, she said she thought I already got the money, and I said yes, I did. I got I got the money uh, electronically. Just went to the bank, and I said that's a letter that and. I never get into politics with my mom. Absolutely, I just never do it. And for for some reason, I, I I went there. I just had this lapse where I said, "Yeah, that was that was President Trump, you know, you know, inflating himself, reminding everybody, hey, you know." And then I died. I talked about the fact that the people that were supposed to get checks had their checks delayed because the printing folks had to put his signature on it. Um, and um, so anyway, we didn't really have an argument, but I was trying to um, denigrate, you know, President Trump and I, I also commented and she she was she watches a lot of religious programming and she says, God put Trump in, you know, for a reason and um, I said, but the mom, mom, his character, he calls people names all the time, you know, and, and I, I realized, um, first of all, I should not have gone there. And I said, you know, mom, I, let's just, I, I'm so sorry that I started talking about politics. That's not the reason for my call. And so, um, I immediately apologized and I said, let's just change the subject uh, and move on. Um, and anyway, so I realized the attachment that I have is that when I'm talking with politics with somebody, um, like I used to do this with my dad before he passed away, um, and I would want him to just open his mind to see my way mm-hmm. <laughs> ego right mm-hmm. and um, and so I realized that's what, what was going on with my mom I wanted her to acknowledge just yeah Trump's our president but, and, and and she wasn't gonna, she wasn't going to uh, to back down on, on her support um, but I realized that that was my attachment was, and then I felt guilty, mm-hmm. and then I felt the need to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm attached to how my mom feels about me. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I, I kind of balance. I'll wrap it up with this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm also in a 12-step program, and I've learned that if I do something that causes someone else to feel bad, I make amends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try not to make the same mistake again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, even though I'm attached to what she believes, you know how she thinks about her son, um, I still felt that like that was the right thing to do, um, so I could, you know, feel okay about our our conversation. Okay, good. So you're giving me a bunch of things to talk about here. This is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect. So. Yes. So there, Bill, you're describing how you were attached to your opinions and your ideas and your views. And by you holding on to those when somebody didn't agree with them, 
initially you kind of felt like you wanted to hold on to those and make sure other people knew them. But then at some point you'd realize, let me just let this go because you realize it's going to cause discontentness, right? So holding on to our opinions, our views, our ideas, these are cravings, these are desire, this is attachment, this is a longing and strong eagerness. But then also, if your mom was getting discontent and she was getting frustrated and irritated, you weren't causing that bill. She was causing it herself because she was also attached to her opinions, ideas, and views as well. And then that became her discontentness. She was causing it herself. But let's talk about something else, which is really interesting based on what you said. You weren't practicing right speech 100% there because you were kind of like gossiping and slandering, right? So that shows you how the Buddhist teachings are very true that by you gossiping and slandering about Donald Trump, it's going to cause you problems and this is why your mom was like hold on a second i don't like this so when we disagree with somebody or we disagree with their point of view or whatever we have to find very polite very respectful ways to express that in terms of politics as lay people we're going to need to discuss politics to a certain level if we're in politics but gotama buddha himself he didn't discuss politics. He was a aesthetic, he was a monk. He didn't discuss politics and he taught all of his monks not to discuss politics because he said that this leads to essentially division. And he only discussed things that lead to enlightenment or lead to liberation of the mind because that was his whole goal is to help as many people reach enlightenment as possible. So politics tends to be somewhat of a hot button for most people in the world. So if you choose to talk about politics and you talk about them with your friends or family, just realize that this can be a real hot button to tread lightly and to really look at your speech and make sure you have right speech. And then don't be attached to your opinions, views, and perspectives where you're holding on and you're longing and you have this strong eagerness for everyone to agree with you, right? I'm taking this beyond where Bill was actually talking, but what I observe and when people talk about politics is oftentimes there's such a strong eagerness for the person talking to get everyone to agree with them that it erupts into a big argument and everyone walks away frustrated and irritated, discontent because everyone's holding on to their views so heavily. Even if you've got two people or you've got 20 people, everyone's holding on to their views. And what an enlightened person's gonna be able to do is is gonna be able to listen to other people and their perspectives and just let them talk and let them talk and let them explain their view. And then when they're done, very politely share your view without gossip, without slander, without denigrating somebody, is just kind of stay focused on the issues and what they think is helpful for society and politics. But when we hold on to our opinions and our views tightly and we're trying to force other people or push other people to come to our side, then that's where the problem starts. And that's where it erupts into anger and frustration. And now what happens is sometimes an otherwise very healthy relationship 
can kind of erode into problems where now somebody who was maybe one of your best friends who you guys did a lot of things together now because of this political disagreement your lives kind of split and separate so if you're going to discuss politics do it without attachment listen to other people talk about other people don't try to push other people and force other people to agree with you and recognize that during the course of the conversation they may or may not ever agree with you they may leave the conversation completely 100% solid that they feel that their way is the right way and you have to be comfortable with that if you're going to choose to talk about politics in your life so this is a great example bill some attachments there is maybe initially attached to your opinion to your view but you let that go pretty quickly which was good then you also talked about being attached to having your mom look at you in a certain way and you know that's pleasing for you you don't want her to look at you as a bad person so you have to kind of let that go and mom's always going to love you right mom's mom's never going to <laughs> mom's never going to turn her back on you so you don't have to worry about that just be the person that you know that you are and just practice right speech right action and everything else and mom's always going to love you and if you guys have a disagreement just allow that disagreement to unfold naturally and don't try to push or force which it doesn't sound like you did which was really good that you just kind of let it go did you have a follow-up bill i just wanted to, to say thank you for the reminder about the right speech part of, of the situation that that was definitely a big part of the equation um, that played into the scenario and then and then lastly you're right you know i I, I probably apologized about three times during the course of the conversation and then the last time before uh, we said we love each other and, and hung up the phone. She said, Bill, it's okay. I don't take these things too seriously. <laughs> yeah. So she was probably not as holding on to it as tightly as you were, right? And um, yeah, so these situations like this can actually really confirm the Buddhist teachings for you and see that it's truth. You can see that with right speech, the five factors of well-spoken speech, speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gently, that it's beneficial, speaking from a mind of loving kindness without blame, which also involves not gossiping, not slandering and things like this, not disparaging other people. You can see like, oh, wow, yeah, I did kind of talk bad about Donald Trump there for a few seconds, and that's what led to this problem. And you can see right there, like, wow, his teachings on right speech are so accurate that had I practiced right speech, this problem wouldn't probably have actually happened. So it can be a nice confirmation for you. So, yeah, it's good that you're seeing that, Bill. Yeah, very good. Yep, you're welcome. Looks like James has his hand up as well. I don't know, Max, I'm kind of like taking away your job here. You're the moderator. I'll, no, let, no problem. I'll let you Let's choose James, who's uh, next. We'll go to some of the text comments in the group and Facebook. Okay, go ahead, James. What's your okay. situation? I just have a quick one. Um, it's, I guess, through my meditation, um, there's times when I'm meditating and, um, you know, there'll be noises and distractions and things. And, um, you know, I can be inclined through that to feel, you know, a sense of aggravation and annoyance. And I think that's just, um, you know, obviously a sign of attachments. Um, I have an attachment to this idea that my meditation is going to always be in a, um, 
silent situation. You know, I kind of idealize the situation that I'm going to be in. And um, maybe there's also like an attachment to the actual practice and, you know, kind of a um, attachment to making progress and such as that. Um, but it's a thing I've noticed really since maybe I really began meditating. And, you know, lately it has been less. And, you know, I've, I've heard distractions like noise from the neighbors and, um, you know, it's kind of like you can kind of realize that um, just because that noise is there, it's not really affecting, you know, you don't have to react to it, you know, um, internally. Um, but yeah, I think that's just one that comes up for me. That's a perfect example, James, and you hit the nail on the head for every single one of those, you know, attachment to having quietness, attachment to certain progress in your meditation, attachment to meditation itself. This is where you realize that the Buddhist teachings aren't about necessarily what's right or wrong. He's helping you explain why your mind is discontent. And somebody might say, well, oh, an attachment to meditation should be good, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Because meditation's good. But all attachment, all mental longing and strong eagerness is always going to lead to discontentedness. So this is where you can see it's, it's not necessarily about what's right or wrong. It's about what's causing the mind to be discontent. One of the ways to eliminate these attachments, and I kind of talked about this a little bit with Amina's example, is to desensitize the mind to whatever stimulus is causing it to be discontent. So in Amina's example, she was having discontentness when her daughter says no, and she didn't feel good about that. So the suggestion I had there was for her to do that activity multiple times where she asks her daughter to do something, and when her daughter says no, she just goes and does it anyway. Because she needs to hear no from her daughter multiple times to get peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in that situation. So with your situation, what I would recommend is that you go to noisy environments and you meditate. And it doesn't mean you have to do it every single day, but two or three times a week, go to some of the most horribly noisy environments and meditate. And even if you only do it for five, 10, 15 minutes, allow whatever frustration or irritation to arise and then realize it's impermanent and let it go. And then when you come back to wherever you're meditating in your home and you hear a neighbor or you hear a dog bark or something, it's not going to affect the mind because you were just in this horribly noisy area over 10, 12, 13 sessions and you allow the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene and content and desensitize it to the noise that now when you come back into this environment where there's an occasional dog bark or an occasional neighbor doing something, it doesn't affect the mind the way it did in the past. So one of the ways to eliminate these attachments is to desensitize the mind to whatever is causing the discontentedness. So that's what I would yeah. recommend for you. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I've been um, thinking about um, going out on the balcony of my apartment and um, kind of meditating there. It's a lot of noise, the street noise. So um, I can definitely see how that would um, help alleviate that attachment. Yeah, and even if you go do that for like the first five or ten minutes of your session and then you come inside and actually get deeper into your meditation, you can do that. Or if you do like a deep meditation and you get your normal benefit and then for kind of the last five minutes or so you go outside and do that because you're still going to need to get, you know, a good, decent meditation in, you know, a few times a day or however you're doing your meditation. So 
it doesn't have to be the entire session out on your balcony with a lot of the road noise. It can be just for a, a short period of time. And what you're going to notice is the more you do this, you'll actually start training your mind that you can actually meditate no matter what, even if it's loud, if it's noisy, if it's what, you know, whatever situation is going on, what you might notice is your meditation actually is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper when it's around the noise. You might actually find that it, because as you're eliminating this attachment to having perfect peace and quiet, when you train the mind to meditate with noise and you get better and better at that, then you're going to get deeper meditation with noise. And when it's quiet as well, your meditation is going to only get deeper because the attachment and the craving is, is gone. So it's, so it's not actually the meditation itself that creates the peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy. It's eliminating these attachments. So by you eliminating this attachment that you're having, the two or three attachments you mentioned, by training the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content, meditating with noise, by doing that, it's going to make everything else better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, so try that. And if you need some more help, you know, you can always post a question in the Facebook group or ask in class again. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So Mercia talks about trauma and letting go of the past and resentment. And she also mentions about the need to forgive the person. But um, yeah, so in general, attachment to traumatic events and past relationships. Okay. So without having the detail there, and I don't know, let's think of a traumatic event. Let's just say we were in a particular car accident, right? Let's say we're just cruising down the road. We were 10 years old. We were 30 years old, whatever. We're just cruising down the road in a car and then whack. And say it was a pretty traumatic accident and maybe you fractured a hip or what have you. And there was a lot of rehab with that. A lot of times people can have fear to get back in the car. And what happens is the mind is essentially holding on. It has this longing, this strong eagerness. It has this tendency to hold on to this situation that happened previously. And it thinks that that's going to keep happening. It, it's, it's afraid to get back in the car. Uh, and even if you get back in the car, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience that when you're driving, you know, the person's foot you know, kind of has like a phantom foot, even if they're in the passenger side. If they see even just the slightest car come near them, they'll kind of hit the, their foot with the brake because the mind has been conditioned to think that just because it's in a car, it's going to get in another accident. This is the mind holding on. And it can happen with cars and motorcycles. It can happen if there's sexual abuse, if there's been a fight or an argument many different traumatic events. If we get fired from a job, that can be somewhat traumatic and kind of send us into kind of a tailspin. And then we lack the motivation to actually go look for another job. So what you have to do is continue to train the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation, with generosity. And if, for example, if it's something like a car accident, you need to keep getting into a car. It's kind of like If you guys have ever ridden any horses, they always teach you if you fall off a horse, brush yourself off and get right back on. That's the way to do it. Because when you fall off a horse, it hurts. I used to ride horses a lot. It hurts. It can hurt quite a bit. And what you do is you just get right back up on the horse. 
And that's how you ensure that the mind doesn't hold on to this negative experience. This is the conditioning that the mind has. And when it holds on to that negative conditioning, then it becomes discontent and fearful. So what you have to do in any kind of traumatic event or situation is you need to put the mind back into that situation, at least if it's like a car accident or falling off a horse or something like this. Now, if it's sexual abuse or something like that, that's a whole different thing. You know, you don't want to put yourself back into the situation where you can be abused again. But let's just say let's just say an uncle, a certain uncle was abusing me sexually and I have now distanced myself from that family member. But what I need to do is not distance myself from everybody in the family. I need to go around other uncles. I need to go around other men. I need to go around other people that are going to be kind and loving and caring with me so that I see that this was just an isolated incident of this person's actions. And it's not everybody that I, I don't have to go around and be fearful of all my uncles or all men or all people with a certain criteria. This is where like racism and discrimination and things like this come from is people have certain negative events with somebody of a particular gender or a particular race or a particular label. And we assign the meaning in that situation, those experiences, we assign it to everybody in that category. So if you've had a fight with somebody who is maybe of a different race or a different gender, you may assign those same qualities of that situation to everybody. And this is where how racism gets gets going. Rather than looking at it as like, no, this is a human being, this is an individual, they made some bad decisions, I made some bad decisions, but that's in the past, that doesn't mean everybody of this same race or nationality or gender is the same. And being able to put that in the past let it go, and then moving forward with life. So without knowing what the traumatic event is, I wouldn't be able to give any more specific advice other than that, other than just to confront your fear, confront whatever the situation is, and just get back on the horse, just get back in the car, or whatever that traumatic event was. Just keep moving forward in life and put it in the past. So we do have some further details from Mercia, and she says that she... Uh, has experienced trauma at the hands of her partner and she's still with her partner and so Mercy is interested in asking any f a few for your further thoughts you might have on that yeah so it sounds like maybe like a domestic violence type situation you know for me I wouldn't tell you whether to stay or to go but what I would encourage you to do is as we teach loving kindness which is active goodwill towards all beings and we teach compassion which is concern for others misfortune is you got to have those things for yourself first right you got to have active goodwill for yourself and you've got to have compassion for yourself i'm not sure all the different variables of how you came into the relationship, what are the variables of the relationship, you know, whether there's kids or what have you, and what all the other details are. So this is why I would never give you advice to either stay or leave. You have to make those decisions for yourself. But what I would encourage you to look at is that are you holding on and having a mental longing and a strong eagerness 
because you're craving something? Is that what it is? And you probably are. But at the same time, you've got to practice loving kindness and compassion for yourself. You know, safety, physical safety is very important. If you're in a relationship, in an environment where you're physically scared, you're emotionally fearful, you're being abused uh, either mentally or physically, that's going to be a very difficult situation for you to ever find any peace, calm, serenity, contentedness with joy. And if somebody has at the point in their life where they're abusing other people physically or mentally, you're not going to be able to change that. And if you did choose to leave, sometimes that's the very best thing you can do for that other person, for them to see that their actions, their speech is causing you to go away. And if you do choose to go away, remember, if you do this gradually, it can be really helpful for you and for the other person. Because this is why, like if there's marriage, some places you need to separate for a period of time. So if you're physically being harmed or you're mentally being harmed, just getting to a safe place and decompressing and being in that other place for a month or two months or three months. And then if you're going to work on this relationship, you can work on the relationship from afar. But you staying in the situation and allowing the person to continually mentally abuse you and physically abuse you isn't really showing yourself loving kindness and isn't showing yourself compassion. So by getting to a safe place, it allows this other person to see that their decisions, their intentions, their speech and their actions are driving people away from them. And that can be a real good motivator to change, for them to change. It doesn't mean they're going to change. It doesn't mean that they're absolutely going to improve what they're doing, but at least you get safe and at least they get the feedback of, if you continue to do this to me, I'm not going to be around. So you have to decide what's best for you. I would just encourage you to look at having loving kindness and compassion for yourself and getting into a safe environment where you can start to work on your own peace, your own calmness, your own serenity, your own contentness with joy. Because in an environment where someone's mentally or physically harming you and abusing you, you're never going to get there. And if you just stay stuck in the same situation, there's no catalyst to kind of wake this person up and to help them realize that their intentions, speech, and actions are causing harm. Essentially, if you stay in the situation and don't even step back from it, then you're showing them that it's okay and you'll accept that. So you've got to find a way to step back, clear your mind, and if you're going to work on this relationship, you can work on it from afar. You know, there was actually times in my life where my wife and I uh, separated for different periods of time, whether it was two months or uh, even one time for about a year, I want to say. And uh, we separated like two times, maybe three times. And there was more growth on both of our sides during that time where we separated. There was no physical or mental abuse, but we just needed some time alone. And we separated, we did our own things. We came together and maintained relationships with our son. 
we never tried to motivate our son to hate one person or the other. We just always shared our son and because we knew he needed a mom and a dad during those times. But at those different times when we separated, it gave us the time that we needed to work on ourselves. And now we've been back together for about two and a half years and things have been so wonderful and so great. They couldn't be better because we're both really practicing the teachings very closely. So stepping away can actually be a really good thing. It trains the mind to let go and allows each party to really work on themselves and try to figure out what things we need to do to make this relationship uh, work out better. So I wish you all the best with that. Uh, if you need help privately and you want to talk more privately, feel free to reach out to me and we can do like a video chat or audio chat. And that way we can get more in depth with your specific situation. And I may be able to help you at multiple times as you're working through this. And I'm sure you've got other people in your life too. So that's important that you get help and guidance from other people as well. But ultimately, you're the one who's making the decisions. Anything that you would come to me about it would be just to help you maybe look at some different things. I wouldn't ever try to make any decisions for you, but just give you some things to look at and reflect on. So Roberto asked about quitting tobacco use and he's experiencing emotional and physical ties that become overinflated during the first week. Okay, so this is a craving, right? Whether it's cigarettes or chewing tobacco or alcohol or illicit drugs. Max was talking about caffeine before class started, about how you know he, he's been hooked to that at different times in his life and he's kind of trying to wean that out. These are all substances that the mind and the body craves. It becomes a dependency and it can cause an enormous amount of discontentness in the mind. And the more you work to eliminate these things, the more peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy the mind's going to be. So you have to do this in a way that works for you. There's a few people that can do it cold turkey, right? But usually the mind doesn't like that and oftentimes it can relapse. So you may choose with some of these ones like caffeine and tobacco and things like this, you may choose to kind of slowly, gradually move the mind away from this attachment because these substances cause the mind to be discontent. They cause heedlessness, unalertness, unawareness, unattentiveness. So by eliminating these cravings for substances in a gradual way, you can allow the mind and the body to adapt to them to a more natural state in a more gradual way. Like for example, when I got rid of coffee, which was something that I really enjoyed drinking, I did it gradually and slowly. I was probably drinking two, three, four cups a day of iced coffee and iced coffee here in Thailand is amazing. You know, I, I did that gradually. I went down to three cups a day, two cups a day, one cup a day, and then maybe one cup every two days, one cup every three days and slowly moved it forward, always keeping my eye on the goal. And there was even some situations where I was away from it for three or four weeks, and then I would have one. And then I would go six, eight weeks, and then I would have one, right? So you gotta realize that that's how the mind's gonna work. Don't feel guilty if you set up this goal to eliminate tobacco out of your life, 
and you go three, four, five, six days, and then you have a craving to have some tobacco, okay, like go ahead and do that. And then just jump right back on the wagon after that. And now that you've done six days, now next time go for 10 or 12 days. And don't beat yourself up because sometimes what happens is we think that this should be automatic. We think it, we should be able to click a switch and then boom, in the tobacco, you go three, four, five, six days, and then you have some tobacco, and then we feel guilty and shameful about it, and then we just keep on going and keep on going and we never give it up. So realize that you're gonna have to have these windows of time where you're expanding wider and wider, and even though you've had 12 days or one month or two months without it, if you go back to it for just one instance, don't allow that to suck you back in and go all the way back to a full-fledged addiction again. Just be like, okay, that was one. I'm getting rid of this attachment. It's going down and down and down and down and down and down. You're extinguishing this craving. You're slowly, gradually extinguishing this craving. So allowing the mind to do that gradually and progressively, gradually keeping the mind on the goal it will allow the mind and the body to adjust to it more readily. And then when you get to the end where you have eliminated it for three months or six months, it's going to be more stable. You're less likely to go back to it because you gradually eliminated this craving. So that's what I would suggest with tobacco. But the longing, the strong eagerness is for that chemical. It's for that substance. It's the, the pleasant feelings in the mind that this substance creates, right? Because remember, the Buddha talked about three feelings that are discontent. Painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So the painful feelings are sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. That's all painful feelings. But then the pleasant feelings are like happiness, excitement, elation. We also get pleasant feelings from things like tobacco or caffeine or heroin or cocaine or alcohol. There's a certain pleasant feelings there. And then if you're doing these substances socially with other people, there's a certain pleasure in doing these substances with other people. So if the mind has this craving and this longing for these pleasant feelings, it's going to keep craving and keep longing. So you have to extinguish that gradually over time. And then the third one is neither painful nor pleasant, which is like boredom or loneliness or shyness. If I was shy, it's not painful. It's not pleasant. It's, it's neither painful nor pleasant. It's kind of like displeasing or dissatisfied. So this is why it's so important that you understand the three feelings of discontentedness and what Robert's talking about here is there's a certain pleasant feeling with tobacco. I used to chew a little tobacco too, and I used to smoke it one time, but falling asleep with some tobacco in my mouth one time, that was enough for me to get rid of tobacco. I fell asleep for like two or three hours and woke up and almost vomited. Um, that was enough for me to get rid of tobacco. <laughs> but Robert, keeping your mind on the goal, right? And, and just slowly, gradually moving your mind. And don't feel guilty or shameful if you take a half a step back or something for a, a situation here or there. But just keep focused on the goal. And one of the other things I like to say about these kind of addictions 
is the mind works very much like an animal in the unenlightened state. When you're training an animal like a dog or a horse or a monkey or any of these animals, whenever they perform a behavior that is good and that is what you're training them to do, you give them a reward. You usually give them some food, right? You give the monkey or the dog or whatever a, a food reward as praise and you might even praise it you know, with a pat on the head and that encourages the dog or the monkey or the elephant or whatever it is to continue to do that behavior. The human mind in the unenlightened state, because it's coming out of the animal world, it functions very much like an animal. So when you're doing this elimination of these cravings of certain substances, it's really good to reward the mind for good behavior. So if you set up a goal where you're eliminating tobacco and your goal is you don't want to have tobacco for the next three days, reward yourself at the end of that, whether it's buying yourself a chocolate bar or a piece of cake or whatever it is you like, Robert, whatever, you know, maybe it's going to do some certain activity. Only you know what that is. You would have done those things anyway. You would have bought the chocolate bar anyway. You would have, you know, bought the piece of cake anyway. But setting up in your mind that if you get these three days of good behavior, you're going to reward yourself with something. And then when you do that, feel good about that. Wow, I'm on the right track. And now expand it further, right? Five days or a week or two weeks and keep giving yourself these little rewards. Eventually, once you get to the end of the craving, you won't need the reward. And maybe the reward is a fruit smoothie or something healthy. Like if you're trying to get rid of coffee, maybe you're moving to like fruit juice or something like that. Or maybe it's like going to a movie. You would have went and saw the movie anyway. So kind of set up in your mind where you're kind of rewarding yourself for this good behavior, much like you would train a dog. So if you do this, I think you'll find some good results there. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. I'm also um, sharing with people the struggle that I'm going through so that, uh, yeah, so that people understand where I'm coming from. If I seem really short or disagreeable at the time um, and, you know, engaging in not right speech is so easy when you're trying to quit something. <laughs> yes. I just want to fly off and, you know, share some of this frustration and anger and whatever that's coming up. Um, but yeah, just letting people know where I'm at at the same time also helps to move through that first, you know, process of getting through an addiction or anything like that. Yes, for sure. And that, that can really help you stay focused on the goal too when you see your mind being frustrated and irritated because you don't have this substance anymore. You're at a point where you don't like that. You don't like that frustration. You don't like that irritation, which is good. You know, sometimes people get attached to the frustration and irritation and it makes them feel good and they like it. They like to be angry and hostile towards other people. So I have a feeling that this frustration and irritation probably bothers you and you don't like it and you want to get rid of it. So that's that's a really good realization to have in moving the mind in that direction of peace, calm, serenity, contentness with joy. Good job, Robert. That's a really great insight. I've noticed something similar in reducing my caffeine intake actually and it happens at the most subtle change so for example when I went from drinking only one coffee to drinking black tea there was a sudden shift in my mood and those things you mentioned Rob 
everything just felt a bit harder. And then shifting from black tea to green tea, you wouldn't think it was such a big change, but instantaneously I felt this, um, this, this, this challenge, you know, everything just felt harder. There was headaches, obviously there was lethargy, but there was also effects that weren't obvious related to the caffeine. And so when we approach these things with mindfulness, it's a great opportunity to see the effect of what we're doing, the effect of our attachment. And that then makes it easier to fully let go of once we see it clearly. Yeah, one of the things that Max mentioned there is mindfulness, right? Awareness of mind. One of the beauties about getting rid of these substances out of your life, whether it's tobacco or alcohol or drugs, even caffeine, is as you do that and you get to a point where there's three, six months of not using the substance, you're just going to notice such a more clarity of mind and have so much more awareness of mind. And your practice is just going to really improve by practicing that fifth precept of eliminating substances that cause heedlessness. It's going to drastically improve your practice because now you're Right intentions, right speech, and right actions are going to be so much more easy, so much more pure because you don't have these substances that are creating this unattentive and unalertness of mind. So cleaning your practice up where you don't have these substances in your life is just so, so, so beneficial. And you're going to see it kind of multiply in benefits in terms of all the other things that you're practicing. And then the second thing I want to say here is if you gradually move these cravings down to nothing, what's beautiful about this is you do this with a couple things like tobacco or caffeine or James with you with meditation and some of the other examples that we've had here. If you see how to train the mind on one or two or three of these different cravings, essentially every other craving or attachment that you have, it's replicating the same thing. So if you take on a discipline where you're actively training the mind to eliminate caffeine or actively training the mind to eliminate tobacco, or if you desensitize the mind to that sounds during meditation and you do that gradually, James, and then same thing with you, Amina, if you gradually desensitize your mind to your daughter saying no to you, what you're going to see is you can replicate this with every other attachments that come up in your life. So as you're going through life and you notice discontentness of mind and you start identifying two, three, four attachments, that's the cause of this discontentness. You just take that same discipline that you employed with tobacco, with caffeine, with meditation, with all the other examples we've been talking about, and you just apply it to this new craving that you've discovered that the mind has. And then it almost becomes fun. It almost becomes like a like a home improvement project. You know, where you're kind of like looking around like, all right, what do I need to clean up here? You know, it's like at your home, you might be kind of looking like, you know, what do I need to fix? Do I need to paint? Do I need to put some wallpaper? I need to change the drapes. Whereas if your mind is like a home improvement project and you get discontent, you're like, ah, there's that discontentness. What is that? Oh, that's what it is. I have the solution for you. I know the solution because you can creatively come up with ways to eliminate these attachments once you've done it two, three times with various things in your life. It's just replicating it for a new attachment. Um, and that way, you tend to not get so angry and frustrated anymore when the discontentness comes up because you have a solution. You can come up with solutions pretty readily. And that's where you, you become very skillful 
and being able to eliminate these attachments. So we have one from Sal on Facebook, and Sal says uh, she thinks she has an attachment to peace and freedom. Mm -hmm. And she gives an example, actually, of how she feels she's afraid of starting relationships because she's concerned that it might create drama and take away her everyday peace. Okay, so if she was here, I would ask her about previous relationships because she's probably had previous relationships that went bad and the mind is holding on and those situations where the mind was discontent in those previous relationships, now she's been able to find a certain amount of peacefulness and contentedness on her own. And now her mind is kind of fearful to go back and actually try another relationship because she doesn't want to get back into that same situation. So here the mind's craving or has attachments, like she says, for peacefulness, for calmness, for steadiness. And this is why, again, the Buddha didn't teach about necessarily what's right or wrong. He's just teaching you why your mind's discontent. And this is another example of where you can see there's no such thing as a good attachment. There's no such thing as a good craving. There's no such thing as a healthy craving or a good attachment. So you need to train the mind to eliminate this. And the way that you would do that is gradually and slowly over time work to being comfortable to be around other people. All right, so this is a situation where you can see really clearly that the Buddhist teachings is not necessarily about what's right or wrong. There's no such thing as a, a good craving. There's no such thing as a healthy craving or a healthy attachment. All craving, all desire, all attachment, all longing with a strong eagerness is always going to lead to a discontent mind. So even craving peace, even having a longing for everyone in the world to have food. Everyone having food in the world is, is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. I would love to see that happen, but that's not where we are right now in the world. If the mind has this longing and this strong eagerness for everyone to have food, then it's going to be discontent. doesn't mean that you don't work to achieve that. doesn't mean that you can't apply effort to pursue that goal and improve that situation because you can. But if you have a, a longing and a strong eagerness to do that, rather than pursuing it as a goal or an interest or an objective, the mind is going to be sad. It's going to be frustrated. It's going to be irritated. It's going to be annoyed. And it's going to actually be harder to fulfill this goal and objective with that kind of mind. If the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, it has a certain goal and objective, and it just works every day to attain that, achieve those objectives, it's going to be much more successful than if in the process of providing food to the world, it becomes frustrated, it becomes angry, it becomes annoyed, it becomes guilty, and all these different feelings. That's going to kind of drag on the objectives and the goals and make it harder to achieve. So it's important that we eliminate this craving, this longing, this strong eagerness that the mind has through breathing mindfulness meditation, through generosity, and through identifying these attachments and then desensitizing the mind 
to letting them go so the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. I'd like to go back to a comment on Facebook because I think this is a very good example. Pravin says, I'm a professional interior designer and I'm always looking for new projects due to my greed. So this can be a longing and a strong eagerness for income, for money, right? This is a challenge because the mind's never satisfied. doesn't matter how much money you have. You're just going to keep spending more and more and more money. So you have to get to a point where you're content with whatever income you have. And it, you can still work and have an objective and have a goal to acquire more of an income. But you do that in a healthy way. Because if we have this craving and this desire, if we have this longing and this strong eagerness for money, then oftentimes the decisions we make are motivated by that craving. It's motivated by that longing and that strong eagerness. And we don't always make the best decisions that lead to the best outcomes. We might cut corners a little bit. We might not do things as well, dot all our I's and cross all of our T's. And because of that, when we ultimately get to whatever income we would like to have, it can fall down like a house of cards because of the decisions that we made to get there were motivated by greed and they weren't really the best decisions to be made. So if you take more of a kind of a methodical approach to it, have a goal, have an objective to increase your income because the more money you have, the more you can help other people. And rather than acquiring wealth for any selfish reasons, you can acquire wealth in order to help other people. And then that way you're not motivating those decisions out of the greed, out of the craving, out of the strong eagerness, out of this longing. So you need to pursue income as a goal and an objective. Yeah, it's a tricky one for many people because many modern work environments really try to water the seeds of greed within us. And uh, many certain job roles actually, um, in terms of how we perform in the role, that can be an asset in, in that one dimension. But when you look at the full impacts of it, we actually do a lot more harm by working through greed. Uh, and so it, it, it can take a, a real um, strong mind to put up the guards and, and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And in terms of money, here's a couple of realizations that really, really help. When you realize that in terms of money, all you really need is food, water, shelter, clothing, and medical. That's really all you need to sustain your life. That's a really good realization to have. Okay, that's the first one. The second thing is, with all this craving, craving for more iPhones, you know, I want the latest iPhone, I want the latest uh, car, I want the best motorcycle, I want the best clothes, I want the best house, I want the best this, I want the best that. As soon as the new movie comes out, I have to be the first one there to see it, right? When you eliminate all these cravings, all this strong eagerness, all this longing, and you can bring your cravings down, what you notice is you're not going to have the expenses that you might be incurring right now. Most people that have money problems, they actually don't have an income problem. A lot of people have an expense problem. They have a spending problem. They don't have an income problem. They actually have a spending problem because they're spending too much more than they make. And, and the Buddha actually talked about this, believe it or not. 
2,500 years ago. He talked about how we need to have an income higher than that which we spend. Because if you're the other way around, you're never going to get to peace. You're never going to get to, you know, peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind because you're always in debt, right? People are always chasing you for money. So he actually taught about having an income and then spending less than your income. So by eliminating these cravings, not just craving for peace or not just craving for quietness during meditation, but all of that craving that you train the mind to eliminate, it's going to benefit you in that you're not going to have craving for the latest iPhone or the latest clothes or wanting, you know, all those expensive things that you can bring the mind down to be peaceful, calm, serene and content. You know, what do you really need rather than focusing on our wants? What do you really need? Well, what I really needed was a phone. So let me go get a phone. I don't need the iPhone 11 or 12 or whatever they're on now. I just needed a phone. So I got, a, I got an iPhone 6 because it was less expensive than the latest, greatest phone. I saved an enormous amount of money by getting an iPhone 6. And then by doing that, you actually work less. You don't have to work as much. You don't have to take in as much income. Therefore, you get to spend more time doing productive activities to either increase your income or spend time with your family or spend time on your own or spend time meditating or whatever it is that you're interested in doing. By reducing your cravings, you actually get more time, you get more money, you get more benefit because your life is not motivated out of this craving and desire and attachment, this longing and the strong eagerness. Something that Sal and I were discussing earlier was this discontentedness from a pressure to conform socially, especially in, say, a working environment when people are attempting to put us into gossip or to join in on their uh, attachment to a certain football team or things like this. And so there's our attachment, I suppose, there, which makes us feel discontent, but there's also the attachment around us that we maybe feel averse to. So, yeah. Interesting thoughts on that. One of the things that you have to get comfortable with learning these teachings in a Western environment is that there's very few people in the Western world that are, are learning and practicing these teachings. Very small percentage. In the way that the vast majority of people are taught in the Western culture is very different than these teachings. So your mindset and where you're coming from is going to be very different than the people around you. And you need to get comfortable with not fitting in all the time and not being the most popular guy at the table and being content with just listening or not, you know, banging it up with people on different topics or, you know, if you're in a group of people that go out to the bar every Friday and drink it up you're probably not going to be interested in doing that for very much longer or at all. So what happens is your life kind of starts out with all these friends and all these situations and all these things. And as you start learning these teachings, your friends and your relationships start to kind of peel away. 
and you start getting down and down and down where it's almost kind of like you and like two or three other people that you really feel comfortable around and that you guys kind of get each other. And then as you start learning these teachings and you start meeting other people that are into these awakening and opening up the consciousness, your life kind of starts to expand back out again. I call it a bow tie, right? It's like a bow tie where you, you kind of start on one side very high with a lot of friends and people are in all different kinds of things, but then you start making different choices and the number of people that you find that you would like to be around become fewer and fewer and fewer because in Western culture, there's very few people that are practicing these teachings and working on awakening the mind. But once you get into the communities of people that are, even in Western environments, then you'll start making more and more friends, better friends that are actually not drinking, that are not lying, that are not stealing, that are not doing sexual misconduct, all these different precepts that the Buddha taught you. And what you'll notice is those relationships will be more stable. And the life that you build with this group of people will be stable and it'll be calm because you don't have to be concerned if they're gossiping about you. You don't have to be concerned, you know, are they going to get angry at me today? Are they going to blow up at me? You'll start making choices for friends, for bosses, for jobs, for neighborhoods to live in, things like this, based on these criteria of people that are around you. Essentially, even if they're not Buddhist practitioners, you're going to be looking for these kind of qualities of mind. Are they loving and kind? Are they compassionate? Are they calm? Are they peaceful? Are they taking a lot of substances? Are they stealing? Are they lying? All of these qualities that are going to lead your mind to a better and better place, a more awakened mind, you're going to make choices about friends, bosses, jobs, neighborhoods, partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, on these things. And when you do and you start having people around you with these same type of qualities of mind, your life is going to be more stable, more steady, and you're actually going to be able to accomplish a lot more in life, right? Because you're going to be around people that are trustworthy, that are loyal, that are committed, that are practicing, even if they're practicing Jesus Christ teachings or Prophet Muhammad's teachings or other teachings, these kind of teachings show up in other traditions. You don't have to be around all Buddhist people, but you'll be looking for these same qualities in the type of people that you spend time with. And that's going to be really beneficial for you. Even the Buddha talked about this. He talked about having good comrades, good associates, good friends that are into wholesome things. And by having people around you like that, it's going to support you and you guys are going to encourage each other to do good and wholesome things. Whereas if you're around people that are doing unwholesome things, then you're going to tend to move in that direction, right? So it's really good to look for people that are into these type of wholesome activities and uh, surround yourself with those type of people and, and you're going to have a much better life. And it's really nice to see more and more people joining us here in the virtual classroom as well. So I hope you guys are enjoying learning. And I hope what you're walking away with today is that number one is craving, desire, attachment leads to discontentness of mind. 
it's your mind, it's this longing, this strong eagerness that the mind's holding on to that is causing the discontent mind, the discontentedness. And that's the beauty in the Buddhist teachings is that because you're causing the anger, the frustration, the irritation, the boredom, the loneliness, the guilt, all of these discontent feelings, because you're causing it, you can eliminate it. That's why you can get to enlightenment, to a peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy, because you're the one who's causing all the discontentness. And again, you don't have to feel like you've done anything wrong. It's not your fault because you just haven't been exposed to these teachings before. But the more you learn these teachings and you understand what's causing the mind to be discontent, the beauty is because you're causing it, you can eliminate it. But in order to eliminate it, you have to be able to, of course, learn the teachings. You need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation, practice generosity. You need to be able to identify your attachments and notice whenever the mind's discontent, look inward and see that it's coming from the mind and figure out what are those two, three, four, five attachments, what's the mental longing, what's the strong eagerness that's in the mind, and then work to train the mind to let that go. And then as you do, the mind will become more peaceful, more calm, serene, content with joy. And what you'll also notice is the mind will become more clear, more focused. You'll have more concentration. This is what we were talking about with Robert with the tobacco and with the caffeine and some of these substances. Not just when you let go of the substances, but when you let go of these other cravings and mental longing that you're having in other areas of your life, you'll notice that the mind will become more clear, more focused, more concentrated. This is why I was mentioning to James that if he desensitizes his mind to be craving this quietness and this peacefulness without sound, if he desensitizes his mind to that, he'll probably find that his meditation becomes deeper and deeper and deeper because he's let go of that craving. The mind is let go of that. The mind's going to be more clear, more focused, more concentrated. And that's how you know the mind's moving closer and closer to enlightenment because you gain more and more clarity of mind. So by being able to identify these attachments and then eliminating them, the mind's going to become more clear, concentrated and focused and more peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy. So I'm glad to see you guys here learning. Continue to read and continue to listen to the podcast and the videos and all of the different posts that we're making. If you guys have any questions during the week, you're welcome to post those into Facebook or you're welcome to reach out to me privately and have a, a talk by audio or video if you like and continue to do meditation. On Wednesday, we're going to be going to our practice session where we're gonna be working on chanting. So if you're interested in learning chanting or you're interested in refining your practice, one of the things that I thought I would do for Wednesday is actually have each one of you guys do chanting if you've been practicing chanting with me at all. So like have Max chant, and then I can help you as you're chanting. So if we were in a live class person to person, I would have you guys chant as a whole group and we would all hear that together. But then I would help you individually do chanting one by one. So if you're at a place where you have been chanting and you've been practicing that and you want a little bit of coaching and guidance, I'll invite you guys to do chanting individually one by one after we do it as a group together. Okay. 
So any sounds good. Any uh, last minute questions or any anything I can help you guys with at this point? I no. thought I might just ask one more question if if people are willing to uh, to, to listen because um, we talked a lot today about emotional attachments, but what about something physical like the feeling of extreme tiredness? Mm-hmm. For example, that's quite a discontent feeling. Yeah, all dis- what attachments are present there. All discontentness is in the mind. There's, there's, it's all mental. Attachment, craving, desire, it's all mental. If you're feeling tired, you know, you're probably just working too much, right? So you can't say like, I feel angry, what are the attachments? Because the anger can come from any number of attachments. You can look at the attachment and say that that's what's causing the anger, but you can't take something like feeling tired and say, what are the attachments? But this is actually a good thing to talk about because I used to have this problem a lot where like if I didn't sleep good on a particular night, like you could wake up kind of grumpy, right? You guys have had that experience probably before where you wake up feeling grumpy and groggy. And then if somebody's around, you kind of, what are you doing? Like, why are you around me? Like, you know, we kind of, it's, it's animalistic, right? That's why the unenlightened mind is very much like an animal, right? But what you have to train the mind for is even when you're tired, even when you haven't had a good night's sleep, is recognize that that feeling is impermanent. Recognize that your sleep is impermanent. You're not always going to get six, eight, ten hours of sleep every night. That sometimes you're going to wake up after two or three hours and it's not going to feel good. And yeah, you're grumpy and yeah, your mind doesn't feel good. But that's part of the training is that when you wake up that way is train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, even though you've only had two or three hours of sleep. That doesn't give us a license to go around and be grumpy to people. That's the way I used to look at it. I used to look at it like, well, if I'm grumpy, everyone's going to be grumpy, right? Like I'm going to go around and everyone needs to know I didn't have a good sleep last night. And that's what we end up doing. And it just creates bad gamma because we're talking bad to people. We're doing bad, saying bad things. We're doing bad things. And it just makes the grumpiness more miserable. And we make everyone around us more miserable. But what you have to do is you have to learn how to just accept, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to feel tired for the next 12 hours. But tonight I'm going to get a good night's sleep and just accept it and realize that whatever that tired grumpiness that you're feeling, it's impermanent. You're attached. You're having this craving, this longing, this strong eagerness for sleep. You only got two or three hours. The mind's craving eight. The mind's expecting permanence. The mind thinks that it's going to get eight hours of sleep every single night. And when it doesn't get eight hours of sleep, it gets grumpy. It gets angry. It gets frustrated. So when you get two or three hours, you have to realize, oh, my sleep's impermanent too. And this grumpy feeling that I'm feeling, it's impermanent. This irritation I'm feeling, it's impermanent. But the last thing you want to do is allow that to come through your speech and your actions because that's just going to cause problems to everybody around you and it's going to make the situation worse. So you've got to learn how to maintain your contentedness even when you're tired, even when you're sick, even when you're grumpy. The thing about the natural law of gamma 
is it's just like the natural law of gravity. It doesn't turn on and turn off, right? When you're sick or you're grumpy or you haven't had a good night's sleep, if you start talking bad to people, you're still producing bad gamma or unwholesome gamma. So you have to recognize that there's no switch for gamma. Just because you didn't get a good night's sleep doesn't mean you get to turn off the natural law of gamma and that gives you permission to now talk bad to everybody, right? What you have to realize is I can't turn this gamma off. It's a natural law. So, But what I can turn off is I can turn off my mind's interest, my mind's being uncontrolled and wanting to talk to people badly. I can turn that off. And now I can just deal with it, recognize that this tiredness, this grumpiness is impermanent, and now smile and work through it. And what I notice is when I used to be tired, sometimes you, you're also hungry, right? So what I would try to do is when I noticed my mind was tired, but I had to get through the day, is I made sure I fed myself well. I made sure that I drank good water, good fruit juice, good quality food. Because if the mind's already discontent because it didn't get sleep, the last thing you want is more impermanence. So if the mind is discontent because of sleep, the last thing you want is now to feel hungry too, because that's going to make you even more grumpy. So some of the things you can do is like make sure you're well fed, make sure you get good water, good fruit juice. And if you know you're grumpy, go be by yourself. Don't try to be around people when you know you're grumpy and irritated. Like go be by yourself and work on that until you feel better. And then come back around people when your mind is in a better place. Um, so this is taking responsibility for our own mind and taking action, right? Applying effort, applying effort to put the mind in a position where it can perform successfully. If I know I'm grumpy, if I know I'm irritated, if I know I'm frustrated, the last thing you want to do is go be around a bunch of people because that's probably going to make it worse potentially. So go be on your own, go do what you got to do, go for a jog, go for a walk, go sit in the park, go get some sunshine, go get a Sunday, go get whatever, get the mind into a good place and then step out from there and re-engage with people if you need to. So, but taking responsibility for that is really important and recognizing that that grumpiness is coming from you, that tiredness, that irritation is coming from you. Thanks a lot, David. Okay. You're welcome. So you guys have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you guys on Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.